It's time for Money for Lunch, where we feed your brain and your business with supersized portions of business and financial news. Now your host, Bert Martinez. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Money for Lunch. I am your host, Bert Martinez. Just messing around. Good to have you here, my friends. Thank you. Thank you so much for stopping by. Check this out. We have 160 days before the end of the year. Oh, I'm sorry. My producer's correcting me. I'm sorry. 160 days before Christmas. 160 days. So if you're into Christmas, then, you know, you got 160 days to get that shopping done. Um, now, we're also just 62 days away, I'm sorry, 92 days away from Halloween. And uh, here at the uh, Martinez household, we're big on Halloween. So kind of already picked out my outfit. I'm going to go as uh, Nick Fury. I figure I have the haircut. So, you know, get some, uh, what do you call it, get uh, a long black trench coat and um, and uh, an eye patch. I'm good to go. All right. Let's get the party started. Let's uh, start off with a quote of the day. The quote of the day. The story of the human race is the story of men and women selling themselves short. Ooh. The story of the human race is the story of men and women selling themselves short. Abraham Maslow. Interesting. I think he might be on to something. All right. Let's get going. My guest today, Scott Hogel, is the dynamic communicator, able to customize his presentations for marketplace leaders, sales organizations, and C-suite executives. He is not he is not a retired expert, but a daily practitioner who sells and leads for one of the largest broadcasters in the world. Scott is a best-selling author, speaker, 25-year broadcast executive, senior vice president of sales for iHeartMedia, and also carries the credentials of being a founding member of the John Maxwell team. Scott, welcome to Money for Lunch. Thank you, Bert. Thanks for having me today. You bet. You bet. All right. So um, it's uh, if I understand it correctly, you're still with iHeartMedia. Yes, still with iHeartMedia. Actually, 20 years now, if you can believe it. Man, that uh, that's outstanding. And and you know what? Uh, what I love about iHeartMedia, besides the fact that they, you know. My show is available at iHeartMedia.com. Is uh, they are uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, always looking for ways to adapt, change, and you know, uh, re- I guess uh, you know, kind of kind of figure out what the audience is wanting, right? I mean, uh, I, it was uh, was it Clearview Communication? Was that part of the parent of iHeart or something like that? Yeah, so Clear Channel was the original corporate name, and it was founded. By, yeah, it was founded by the Mays brothers in the '70s, but iHeart was the consumer name, and then we eventually dropped the corporate name and adapted the consumer name to our corporate name. So now it's known as iHeart, 
We're in 150 cities all across the U.S. right now, as you know. And by the way, thank you for being on iHeart as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's certainly my pleasure. <laughs> uh, that's right. And I think uh, iHeart does this phenomenal event um, in Las Vegas. And I think it's either coming up fairly soon, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, absolutely. It's it's always the third week in September. We actually call it, Bert, the Super Bowl of events because there's not a stage you'll see more artists back-to-back. And um, if you're an audiophile or you love music, that thing, the, the show starts at like 7 p.m. and goes to like 12, 1 in the morning sometimes, and it's two days back and back-to-back. Back. It's amazing. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that, that is amazing. Um, and... Uh, you know what to call it. Uh, it's it is a very very big event, and I, I was uh, fortunate to attend it not too long ago. And it's very well organized. It's not, uh, you know, some events get chaotic, you know, and and this is a huge amount of people, and it's well organized, and it, it's a lot of fun. It, it's got great energy. Yeah, well, you've got the biggest names in music, so imagine the preparation that has to go in. Literally from the day the event ends this year, they'll start preparing for next year. But if you've got the biggest names in music, you've got Ryan Seacrest a lot of times it opens it up. You've got to show up and play, and you've got to be ready. And um, the precision, and I like that word precision, um, um, tuning they use to, to make sure everybody's ready to go and ready to rock is, it's very impressive to watch. And I can honestly say, I mean, I've only missed one of the festivals in the last number of years. Even being an insider and being part of it, it's still awesome. And I'm still impressed watching it every year because it takes quite a lot of prep work, and it's amazing. Yeah. No, I love it. I love it. All right. So uh, let's see. And and this is cool the way you and I connected. So uh, uh, Tom Hopkins, who used to be a regular on our show, uh, reached out and said, hey, Bert, you got to get Scott on your show. Um, and you have a book out called Persuade, The Seven Empowering Laws of the Salesmaker. Yes, yes. was launched last year, became a bestseller early on, uh, even made it into the Barnes & Noble brick-and-mortar stores. So, Tom, I was very fortunate that Tom uh, wrote the forward for the book. And there's actually a very interesting story about how that came about, but um, – yeah, Tom's been a friend for about 20 years now. Yeah, no, I, I uh, Tom and I uh, get to hang out fairly regularly, and and uh, he is he's just a, he's a funny guy. He's a funny guy. <laughs> uh, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, and uh, yeah. so uh, anyway, so anyway, we'll just uh, I, I want to get into this because one of the things that that I was impressed with the book. Again, the book, Persuade, the Seven Empowering Laws of the Salesmaker, is the amount of top-rated national endorsements from not just best-selling authors, you know, because authors tend to help out authors. But, you know, you got national endorsements from high-ranking executives working at, you know, companies like Facebook and Google and Zillow and Amazon and uh you know, we mentioned Tom Hopkins. Uh, there's 
Brian Tracy and, and um, Bob Pittman and, you know, list goes on and on and on. I got to ask you, how did you persuade these guys to get on board and give you an endorsement? That's, that's actually a great question. The answer for each of them is a little bit different, um, but I can tell you that it all began with connection and relationship. And what I mean by that is that some of these guys I didn't really know on a first-name basis. So um, the process I really went through is once I had an opening or what I would say access point, knew somebody who knew somebody who could connect me with them, the first thing I had to do was ask myself, well, what value can I bring to them? In other words, who's Scott Holdo? Why will they care? So, and I think that's one of the first keys to persuasion. If you've got to ask yourself before you ask what you want and make your ask, you've got to ask, how do I add value to the relationship bank account here? And, but believe it or not, for each one of these was a different story. And ironically, you know what the hardest endorsement for me to get was? Bob Pittman, CEO of iHeart Media. And it really? actually happened the night before the IHR. Yeah. You see, the higher you go in these large companies, it's higher to get FaceTime with these people. Sure. And I happened to run into Bob outside of a bar the night before the festival a few years ago, and he was standing alone on his phone. And I literally walked out and started talking with him and um, was able to have the conversation. And, but I'm going to now answer your question. You said, how did you persuade them? The first thing I've discovered is that when you want something from somebody, it's counterintuitive, but you've got to kind of turn it around. You've got to kind of put yourself in their shoes. And how do you ask yourself, how do I add value to them? So when I was talking to Bob, I started off by thanking him for the extraordinary job he was doing in leading iHeart. Because Bob, when it went from Clear Channel to iHeart, Bob came on board as a CEO. He had a tremendous value to each of the employees. And what I mean by that is that he changed the culture. And um, I wanted to tell him how it had an amazing impact on me and the group that I lead. And so as you are making the ask or before you make the ask, one of the greatest ways to add value is to find something that you admire, something that you appreciate in another person and kind of affirm that. So once I kind of made that deposit in that relationship bank account, then I had earned the right to make the withdrawal and make the ask. And uh, Bob, with a wave of the hand, said, sure, no, I'd love to give you an endorsement, Scott. Um, but it took a lot of thinking and prep work before having what was only, frankly, a three-minute conversation. Sure, sure. I, I want to emphasize this. Uh, first of all, you wanted to build value first. You wanted to give something in reach. You know, you wanted to give something first, and uh, this is one of those things where uh, – it's, it's, it's like giving a compliment. Not only is it, you know, we all love to receive sincere compliments, right? We don't want a phony baloney. So the value that you Absolutely. give has to be sincere, has to really be a value. You know, you can't just go up to Bob and say, hey, Bob, not only are you a handsome man, but are you a, you're a powerful one too. Would you please endorse my book? <laughs> you know, right. No, absolutely. No, <laughs> Bert, you're, you're hitting the nail on the head. No, you're so right. Because, you know, people can read that stuff. Right. I mean, we've all... You know, when Tom first went into sales, you know, knowledge wasn't ubiquitous. Sales skills weren't ubiquitous. Today, people can read and lead from the get-go. Everyone's got spidey senses. So, but, so here's what I've learned in terms of, um, you know, a lot of people talk about leadership and influence, but few people will tell you actually how to build influence. 
And what I found is that when you add value before you ask for value, it creates an invisible return. Mm. So, in fact, for all of your listeners today, I would say this. How can I, when I asked myself, I, I knew I was coming on your show, Burton. You've got so many people listening. How can I best add value to them? This is what I would say. What is it that you're wanting today? Everything you want is connected to a person or a place. Now ask yourself, this person that you want something from, ask yourself, how can I add value to them? And when you start thinking about that person and you start thinking about what you like about them, what you admire, what you'd like to affirm, begin to speak to that because when you look for the good in people, you usually find it. And when and rarely do we have those genuine, authentic conversations where somebody's pointing out the greatness in us. But here's what I've discovered. You speak to the greatness, the greatness comes out. Mm. I like that. I like that. And, and i tell you why I like that. Because you can't speak unless you do some research. you got to know them a little bit. you got to have done some homework to be able to say, again, with sincerity – Hey Scott, you know I, you know, I, I got this. I found this thing for you. I know that you're a big fan of X, Y, Z, and I thought that you might enjoy adding this widget to your collection. Right? Th- that to me would speak yeah. to something. You know, something again, maybe quote not your greatness, but something that you are fond of, something that you that you think is great. And, and therefore, hey, I give you this little thing or, or whatever, but I like this idea of speaking to their greatness. And again, it has to be sincere because, you know, we all we can all smell it a mile away and, and uh, nobody wants uh, to be BS. And, and uh, uh, so, yeah, man, I like that. I like that a lot. And. All right. So, so I got to ask you this. Uh, there are a lot of books out there on selling and persuading and all that other stuff. What was the motivation? What was the catalyst to get you to write this book? Talk about this. Oh my gosh. That's a, um, you know, Bert, I have two answers to that question. And one of them I usually don't share. (laughs) Um, You know, in 2011, uh, Mark Cole, the CEO of the John Maxwell Company, was sitting in my office, and um, we spent about an hour together. And I've been a Maxwellian for years, a big fan of John Maxwell, and I was I was pitching Mark on the idea of doing a laws of leadership type book, but for the sales profession because it's a much bigger profession than uh, than even leaders. And and um, I even gave him some laws, and we talked about it. He pitched John Maxwell, came back and said, "Well." I've got to stay on my lane. I've got to stay in the leadership lane, but Scott, we think you should write the book. So, you know, that kind of hit me like a thud in the heart and um, it just kind of sat there. But then I wound up facing this disease. You know, I had a number of bouts with cancer over the next few years. And, you know, when, when you're facing crisis, life kind of falls apart. And that idea that started off as a seed, which never really had a chance to take flight and grow into a dream kind of set up on the shelf. And then a couple of years ago, um, it started to get watered again. But the genesis came from that conversation with Mark from the John Maxwell Company, which, um, you know, took some strange turns. But I think all of us have detours on the road to success. It's not a question of if you get knocked 
back, get, you get knocked down, but are you going to get back up? And depending on the kick in the balls you get, sometimes it's really tough to do that. Yeah. Or the ovaries, depending on who you are, right? I mean, uh, absolutely. As yeah. matter of fact, you know, the reality is, is that all of us are going to get knocked down. All of us are going to just take a beating sooner or later. We are going to take the beating of all beatings and the difference between, you know, I, I want to see the, the achievers and the non-achievers are going to be those who get up. Cause we all fail. Yeah. We all fail. We all struggle. There's something, you know, I was thinking about how you opened your show, Bert. I really like it. We've got 160 days to Christmas. When you said that, what really spoke to me was that means we're in the second half of the year. Yeah. And my question for the audience, you're right. So, but how many people out there are struggling with the same thing in the last few days of July that they were in the first few days of January? And everybody struggles with something. What are you struggling with today? And, you know, I was just thinking about what my short list looks like. Everybody knows what that list is in their head. And at some point, we've got to get to the point, I think, where we're like, I'm done with this list. I'm not going to think about it. I'm not going to struggle with it. I'm just going to overcome it once and for all. Because there's an overcomer in all of us. Yes. It's just the question when we pull it out. So you have spoke about that in your show many times, actually. Absolutely. No, absolutely. Yeah. You know, bottom line is we all get – it doesn't seem like a miracle. It doesn't seem like a blessing. But we all get that beat down to help us, you know, become better, to really find out who we are. Um, all right. So, but anyway, so moving on, I want, I do want to go back to the book and, um, and, and talk about this. And I will put uh, a link in the show notes here. The book is persuade the seven empowering laws of the sale maker and my guest today, Scott Hogel. Uh, so I want to talk about this because this I thought was kind of cool. Uh, you know, uh, there's a section in your book. Uh, well, you know, first of all, um, there's, uh, you know, a bunch of different stories uh, in the book. Uh, you know, and so I love, you know, I love when you can surround a success principle but tie it into a story. That's I think most people appreciate that. Um, but I want to talk about specifically, there's a section in the book that deals with the CIA. Talk about this a little bit. Yeah, so it was kind of an afterthought. We had been done with the manuscript, and we kind of got this inspiring idea. And the CIA section is at the end of every chapter, and it asks the reader three questions. One, what connected with you? That's the C. Right. Because if something connected with you, it's resonating with you, it's resonating for a reason. And then if it's resonating, there's an insight, and that's the I. And then how will you live differently from what you learn? That's the A. So it was this section that we put in because we wanted to challenge the reader um, to live differently, to implement what they've learned. But not everything that they learn, maybe just the stuff that connected with them, because we can all only handle a few things at a time. And, yeah. Um, and then it turned into 
getting a bunch of people from some of America's biggest companies to pre-read the manuscript and then give us their CIA. So what's interesting is that it's not just a learning tool in the book to take you to the next level. You get to hear what people got out of it who worked at companies like Facebook and Amazon, New York Life, Hawaiian Airlines, uh, Google, and stuff like that. Um, so it, here's this is why it was so important. Yeah, everything in Persuade was connected to an event in my life at some point. And, you know, even if you're just going through life today, if you spend a few minutes re- in reflection at the end of today and ask, gosh, what happened today that really connected? You know, what happened that didn't connect and why? And just do a little self-evaluation and then kind of mine the nuggets from, from the good stuff today. It's kind of like the 1% principle. If you get 1% better or get better at one more thing every day, um, that's where growth comes from. And that, that's the kind of people that listen to your show. People are always on the hunt for getting better at what they do. It's about success, right? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of put you on the spot a little bit here because as a sales trainer, sales maker, uh, as a sales professional, I know that you've read and continue to study the profession of sales. What are some of the things or maybe some of the favorite elements of Persuade for you? What, what makes Persuade different? than so many of the other books that are similar. Talk about this a little bit. Oh. That's a great question, Bert. You know, you know, I've read, like you, I'm pretty well read, and I find a lot of business books to be boring. They're great uh, with loaded with principles. So I intentionally wrote Persuade to fill it with stories of friends and family, life and love, and Believe it or not, Bert, most of the stories in Persuade are not business stories. They're stories people can relate to every day. I mean, there's a story about me and my son. I've told right. a story about both of my sons. The opening story is about has a story about my wife. I tell stories about relationships because, you know, the goal, you know this because you've written books. The goal for a writer is to, to get the reader to turn the page. And if I could come up with a story that's going to, that's going to connect with people in their everyday life, not just some customer story. You know, it's going to motivate them. It's going to resonate um, in a lot of areas. And, you know, we can't get better in one area without it impacting the rest of our areas. So I would say the stories and the way it's written is what makes it quite different. Yeah. You know what? And and again, it goes to show you uh, that the importance of storytelling Stories teach. Stories motivate. Story, stories inspire us. Uh, if you are struggling in a subject at school or a subject, let's say, at work, if you can get stories about that subject matter, you'll start to improve quicker, better, faster. Uh, oh, absolutely. I, I struggled immensely with algebra. And I had this uh, individual who said, hey, he, he just had a great way of, of telling this algebra story and making it become alive to me. And therefore, I was able to, you know, with, some, with a very patient coach, get past algebra. Uh, 
But, uh, yeah, no, I think those are the things that people remember. You know, a good story – go ahead. I was just going to say that there's a saying that facts tell but stories sell, and um, I I just want to speak to what you're saying because you're talking about a guy who changed your life because he told stories. Yes. What's the reason stories I think are so powerful? Hollywood figured this out a long time ago. Is that yes. story goes in through the right? I mean, this is where they make millions of dollars. Um, but he, I think here's why, and I put this in in persuade. If you want to connect with someone, the minute you start to tell a story, a story goes in through the side door of the brain, and it bypasses our judgment center, and it goes straight to the heart where the seat of emotion is. That's where we connect, and um, <laughs> your story part of connecting with algebra, and it started to make sense. I mean, I, I think that's the perfect example. Well, you know what, and and, and here's what's so interesting too. Uh, I was reading this article the other day, just this weekend, and so as most of us are aware here in the great in the great United States and, and even overseas. Disney has been remaking their stories, uh, and they've been doing the live versions, right? We've had Aladdin, uh, Lion King is coming out. Um, I, I forget the other ones that they've already done. But these are stories that we kind of already know, and we, and we know the characters. We know the ending. We know the story, but yet the story is uh, – is is one of our favorites, so we want to see the the other versions, right? So, uh, oh, Aladdin, uh, oh, yeah. Aladdin was just done, and so anyway, so Disney has made seven billion dollars by retelling stories that we already know. <laughs> right. That tells you the power of a story. And, and the power and, of a good and, storyteller, yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, because if it's a good story, we will listen to it over and over again. We all have our favorite movies, our favorite books, and these are all stories. And, you know, we know how it ends, but we, you know, we read it once a year or we watch it a couple of times a year or whatever it is. Uh, no matter what. And so it just shows you how powerful that is. Um, so anyway, so, so yeah, I love the fact that you got so many stories in there. And I love the fact that you said, Hey, these are friends and families and, and stuff like that. Uh, all right. So for everybody listening, give us like the 10,000 foot view, you know, why should I, Get persuade. Is it only for sales professionals? Talk about it. Yeah, it's not. You know, my main lane is sales and leadership. I've spent 30 years in BERT, but I wrote it for everyone because the truth is we're all in the persuasion business. Everybody wants something in life. It's instinctive to want. The -hmm. question is, are you any good at getting it? So if you're, if you're, struggling in an area today and you're trying to figure out how to overcome, there's a section on that. If you're thinking about how to go to your boss and ask for a raise or how to connect with a customer that frankly is not connectable, they're not likable. Um, you know, the first chapter starts off 
with relationships. And then, you know, there's, there's chapters on competency. So the 10,000 foot view is going to help you persuade is going to help you learn how to communicate, connect, and close the sale, whether you're selling yourself, you're selling your boss, you're selling your company, or like me, I've got two, two teenage kids. The toughest sale I've got to make is them. So, yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, man, kids are tough. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and you know what? And here's the deal. This is what I love about the book. Uh, first of all, let, let me kind of uh, plug it one more time. The book is called Persuade, the Seven Empowering Laws, Empowering Laws of the Salesmaker. Uh, and you could easily say Persuade, the Seven Empowering Laws of the Parent or for the Parent, right? I mean, it, because really persuasion is what it's all about versus, you know, old school closing techniques, right? Where somebody says, well, you know, oh, yeah. I can't afford it. Well, hey, let's do this. Hey, let's do that. Hey, you know, overcome this objection. You know, when you persuade somebody and they will move, they will move obstacles to get what you're selling because they're persuaded that they have to have it. And, and so that's what I really like about persuade the seven, the seven empowering laws of the salesmaker. And then when you look at the cover, it's about attraction. You have that uh, magnet there uh, in place of the U, and it's attracting things to you. And, you know, one of my favorite things uh, when I, you know, about, or one of my favorite examples of persuading is, when you persuade somebody, or they really persuade themselves, first of all, they, they finally decide, you know what, I need this product. Even though I cannot afford it, I need this product. Or even though maybe now is not the perfect time, I'm going to go ahead and get it because I need it now or I'm going to need it soon or, or whatever the deal is. And that's really what's so empowering about persuasion versus selling. Well said. I love that, how you said that. Thank you. All right. So yeah, something that you, you were, you kind of, kind of touched on a little bit and I kind of want to explore a little bit more. I want you to talk about the difference, if you will, between influence as opposed to persuasion. Yeah, they're, they're different. I mean, they're first cousins. They're almost twins. Influence is important because You've got you've to be able to create that um, – your ability to um, have an effect on somebody, and that's what influence means. It means to have an effect on somebody, but influence isn't enough. You've got to be able to move them, and that's what persuasion moves. That's what persuasion is. So you know, influence has been a very big word in the personal development space the last 20 years, but it just means to have an effect. But if it's interesting because nobody gets to the end of the year – there's not a there's not a box on your 1099 or W2 that says influence, right? You know, there's there's a box that says how much did you earn? Your wife or your husband doesn't say to you at the end of the week how many people did you influence? They say how much did you bring home? So influence is a important piece of the puzzle, but it's not enough. We've got to be able to move people to decision, and that's true whether you're trying to 
you're a leader trying to inspire a staff and you're selling a vision or you're a salesperson trying to sell a product or let's say you're a singer on one of the iHeart stations, you're trying to persuade fans to buy your music. So, um, you know, uh, influence is important, but you've got to be able to move people. You've got to be able to move the market or else you're just having an impact in, an impact by itself. Right. Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, that when you look at somebody who's got very little influence, it's very difficult for them to persuade versus the person who has a lot of influence. It's much easier for them to persuade. I mean, it's just, you know, like you said, they're, they're definitely close cousins or siblings, whatever. There, there is a connection there. Um, I, I, I want to talk about this. How long from the time that you said, hey, I need to write this book, how long did it take you to write the book? And were there any little obstacles or even big obstacles? Or did you have any obstacles writing the book? Talk about those two. Yeah, good question. So from the time I made the decision to write the book, it was probably – it was February of 2016. Yeah. From the time I actually started writing it, I want to say it was June, and I finished the manuscript in February. But that being said, I had 20 years of sales and leadership training and material and content to draw on that I developed over the last couple of decades. So I didn't start from scratch um, but I think the obstacles are probably similar, and I mean, I'm sure you face some of these, Bert. Um, one is, you know, when do you write? One of the questions people like to ask a lot is, Scott, when did you find time to write? I mean, you're a father of two, you work at iHeart, you've got, you know, all the stuff going on. And the answer is for a writer, when a writer's in a writing cycle, there's never a time they're not writing because they're always writing in their head. Writing isn't just yes. typing on the keyboard. And um, so, um, you know, being able to actually find the time to think, the thinking time and meditation time, so you can kind of figure out how to put the words in the right order in a way that's going to connect with people. So there's that, but then there comes a point where you kind of get to the end of yourself, and you're not done with the chapter, and you need a little bit of inspiration. So learning how to, um, in fact, I'll share an interesting technique that I that helped me a lot, Bert. It's when, you know, some people might call it writer's block. How do you deal with writer's block? And I found a way to kind of tap into the muse within. And what I mean by that is whenever I would get to an end where I knew I needed more content or I needed something else, you know, I think like a, I'm a Socratic, I think in questions. What I would do is instead of trying to figure out what to say, I would figure out what to ask. Mm. And then, I would, yeah, so let, let me give you an example. Let's say, for example, you're going to write a book today on, on how to cook vegetables. Um, just as a simple example, you might start off, here's the main question. What are all the questions, what are all the things that somebody would need to know about cooking vegetables? And if you're the subject matter, you could begin to write all those questions out. And then I would answer each question in paragraph format. And when you do that, by the time you're done, you've got 18, 20 paragraphs, and then it's just a question of stitching it together. 
And when you practice content development in that way, you really never run out of good content. The hard part for the writer is knowing what to cut, and it's putting best above good. Yes, I like that. Uh, I love the idea of, of, of asking questions and presenting in that question format it instantly engages the audience, right? It instantly allows you, uh, what do you call it? Uh, feedback, of, you know, pe- people can sometimes help you when, you when you ask a question versus make a statement. No, absolutely. So here's what's interesting is that Statements have a way of pushing people away from us, but when you ask questions, it pulls them to us. When we ask questions, it becomes the magnet. And what I want to share, Bert, that I think is critically important, and I think this is going to help someone in the audience today, is that is that the technique I'm talking about when I wrote the book, that works on yourself too. When you turn questions around and start to ask yourself, you ask those interrogative questions. So, for example, remember we were talking about earlier in the show – Everyone's got a list of two or three things they're struggling with. In your time of reflection today, if you stop down and start to ask yourself the who, the what, the when, the where, the why, what I call the five W brother questions, and really kind of deep into that, dig into that, that's going to empower you. That's going to inspire you, and you're going to be able to get to the root of your issue in terms of why you're not able to overcome. But you know, as questions pull people towards us, questions are like a um, – ice cream scoop that will pull the insights from within us as well. And that's where the real power in life is. Okay. Say that again. A question is like an ice cream scoop. It's like a shovel that can go deep down within our heart and it pulls up the insights. It pulls up the energy in life. And when we turn the questions around on ourselves and ask the If you're struggling with something, ask yourself the who, the what, the when, the where, the why. Right. And you start to write that stuff out. You start to journal it. As you write, there's a magic I found that happens between the pen and the paper where you start to get clarity. Uh, And that's where the insights are birthed. And frankly, that's where transformation takes place. And when you can learn to do that with yourself, you'll be able to do that with others. When you import it, you can also export it. Oh, I like that. I like that so much. Scott Hogle, we're out of time. <clears throat> the book, again, is Persuade, The Seven Empowering Laws of the Salesmaker. Best-selling author, Scott Hogle. I'm going to put a link here in the notes. Scott, it's been so much fun having you on the show. Looking forward to having you back again, my friend. Thank you so much, Bert. sure appreciate you. All righty. Good stuff there from Scott Hogle and uh, – you can uh, actually go to scotthogle.com. That's scott, H-O-G-L-E.com. If you want to find out more about Scott or maybe uh, looking for a, uh, a trainer or a salesperson, uh, speaker, you can go to scotthogle.com. Show notes are going to have links to his book. The book, again, Persuade, The Seven Empowering Laws of the Salesmaker. As always, my friend, let's share this episode with everyone we know. Let's help as many people as possible. Learn to be good persuaders. Let's help as many people as possible um, 
ask questions that I like that whole scoop out that energy and uh, take them to the next level. As always, my friends, remember you were created to succeed. Tune in Monday through Friday here on Money for Lunch and check out our website at moneyforlunch.com.